gradually, then all at once, this country is slowly slipping away. Not too slowly, but I fear one day, I don't know when exactly, we could have huge riots, migrants upset, feeling that they have not been treated adequately somehow, not getting enough goods and services, even though they're here illegally. And could there one day be fewer American citizens in this country than people who just showed up illegally? It's possible. It's not inconceivable. You know, the rest of the world is going through some of this. Bad. It's really bad. Take a look at Greece. The riots over there, it's been hell on earth at times. Bulgaria, throughout Europe, they have been seeing this onslaught of refugees, migrants there in those countries without citizenship, Paris losing its culture, places like Italy, uh, Sweden, their countries, their culture, their customs slipping away, and it could happen right here in America. You heard about the latest, all the Venezuelans coming, right? Uh, no papers, no permission, uh, coming here illegally, no problem, no problem. A work permit has been issued for 400,000 Venezuelans to work here, even though they're here illegally in the first place. All kinds of games are being played right now. I think of it this way, the border crisis is the new COVID, right? Remember when COVID struck? And they started playing around with the election rules and laws and saying you could vote pretty much any way you wanted. Um, they're rearranging society then and now. The same kind of thing is happening. Cutting corners, blowing off the law. And a lot of people like it that way. I mean, the globalists, this is what they want. One equal planet. One equal and miserable planet. You ever heard of uh, Louis C.K., the comedian? I used to kind of like him, but uh, wow, he just put it all out there, what the elites want, I guess, including him now. My feeling is they should open it, the border, and just let them pour in, let everybody pour in. And, and then the answer, which is, well, then there will be all these problems. Yes, there should be. It shouldn't be so great here, is what I'm saying. In America, it shouldn't be. It's a weird thing to sequester a certain group of people and try to keep upping their lifespan and their lifestyle and just keep trying to increase that for this group of people. And then everyone's and then this pressure of people trying to come in so they can enjoy it. Uh, and then it gets worse and worse down here. It's not good for us either. It's not a good way to live in a gated community, you know. You know, America fundamentally is about, you know, creating a more perfect union. Uh, everybody has a right to strive for happiness, right? Peace, prosperity. He doesn't like any of that stuff, and neither do a lot of his colleagues. You know, one of the problems that we'll be faced with, these cultures, these customs that we're unfamiliar with, that we don't like, actually, like Sharia law. Do we like Sharia law? Well, it's coming to America. If this isn't checked in some serious and meaningful way soon, uh, we're going to lose our culture. We're going to lose the American way of life. There are people like Louis C.K. and Obama, I believe. He, um, he's never been too into America, never been too into us, into himself. And oh, by the way, this is not xenophobic, anything that I'm saying. All right. No, it's not. We love people who come to America legally, right? And take that amazing oath of citizenship 
This is one of the most beautiful moments, I think, in American history, the Republican National Convention in 2020. People from all over the world taking that citizenship oath with President Trump, Chad Wolf, Homeland Security Secretary. And one of the amazing things about people who come here legally from other countries here, we had Africa, South America, South Asia, Asia, they have to take an oath. that They swear to defend this country, to actually pick up arms. Um, most people, if you are born here, you don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. So I really appreciate those who come here legally. All right. So the Biden administration, they know that this looks awful. So they have to be seen as doing something, uh, deploying 800 more troops, 800. That'll do it. Talk to anybody who knows anything about the border. This is pathetic. This is not even a drop in the bucket. It is it's nonsense. And it's they're trying to fool people into thinking that it is something. I wonder if they talked to General Milley to get his military input into that decision, those 2,500 troops. How did this guy get in the Army? We have to have an investigation. Who recruited this guy? we got to find that guy because he's a real menace to the Constitution. He has about another 10 days left in office. He retires at the end of the month. So he's getting his reward from the fake news. And after he leaves government, he'll probably get rewards from corporate America. The Atlantic, the liberal magazine, just did a huge story, like 50 pages in that magazine dedicated to Mark Milley. And they took pictures of him. They took pictures of him inside his house. They took pictures of him outside his house, on the front lawn, in the backyard, looking at stuff in his living room, just standing around uh, a big profile. And then the parents were in there, his graduation photos. It's a big, we love Mark Milley because he played ball with us. He was on our side, the swamp side, not America's side, not the Constitution side, the swamp side. I'm going to prove it to you. Number one, who remembers this moment? I thought it was amazing, actually. After a night of rioting and uh, harming police, peace was restored to that area right in front of, um, I believe it's, is it St. John's Chapel? I'm sorry. Yeah, St. John's Church, right across from the White House. There was a riot the night before, big time. Uh, people were hurt. The White House at one point looked like it was going to be overrun. People were hurt, and yes, police officers were hurt. Park police, take a look at this. No one ever talks about this part. The park police who were injured that night, uh, one had brain, brain injury. Overall, 49 U.S. park police officers were injured during the protests from May 29 to May 31st, including one who underwent surgery for his injuries, and that was brain surgery. But everybody was somehow horrified, horrified that the president held a Bible in front of a church. Was that really a problem? A Bible in front of a church? I have no problem with that. And Mark Milley, this is where, wow, he really chose sides, huh? Mark Milley is about, what, 20 feet behind Donald Trump there? About, I'd say. He went around apologizing for this moment. Holding the Bible up was too much for him. He wasn't even there. Mark Milley wasn't there, but somehow, because he was walking 20 feet behind him on the White House driveway, somebody criticized Mark Milley on MSNBC, and you know what he did. As many of you saw the result of the photograph of me at Lafayette Square last week, that sparked a national debate about the role of the military in civil society. I should not have been there. 
National debate. I'm telling you, MSNBC, some guy, Rachel Maddow and CNN for about eight seconds. No big deal. And next. My presence in that moment and in that environment created a perception of the military involved in domestic politics. Wow, huh? One more time. That moment. Did anybody notice it really, right? He's all the way back there. I personally expect a couple of guys in uniform, maybe even the senior military advisor to the president, be at the White House with the president or 10 feet away from the White House seems totally normal. So this picture is horrifying, but he can pose for bizarre ego trip pictures on his front lawn overlooking Washington, D.C. for the very liberal Atlantic magazine. All right, but let's take him at his word. He must remain apolitical, all right? This is the thing with this guy. I must be apolitical. Watch. He says this a lot. This was a political act, a political event. I didn't realize it at the moment. I probably should have, but I didn't until the event was well on its way. Walking down the driveway. Next, I am a soldier, and fundamental to this republic is for the military to stay out of politics. Okay, Mark, really? Next, please. What I'm trying to do the entire summer all the way up to today is keep the military out of actual politics. Got it. But again, with this guy and no politics, we say out of domestic politics, period, full stop, not authorized, not permitted, illegal, immoral, unethical. We don't do it. All quotes from General Mark Mutiny Milley in this ridiculous uh, story in the liberal Atlantic. Well, Mark is very political. That same time he apologized for the appearance of being political, he got ultra woke political. Watch. I am outraged by the senseless and brutal killing of George Floyd. What we are seeing is the long shadow of our original sin in Jamestown 401 years ago. We are still struggling with racism, and we have much work to do. Unspoken and unconscious bias have no place in America. And they have no place in our armed forces. And we should all be proud that the vast majority of protests have been peaceful. We must ensure fairness and equity at all key gateway selection boards, including promotion, command, and work Be inclusive. Make a commitment to seek out and surround yourself with those who don't look like you. You see, right, the original sin at Jamestown, equity, George Floyd, this sanctimonious guy is touching on every hot-button domestic political issue of our time as he claims to be apolitical. That's unethical, right? Full stop. No discussion. Unethical. Not going to do it. How about when he showed up uh, in front of uh, Matt Gaetz's committee? I want to understand white rage, and I'm white, and I want to understand it, and I personally find it offensive that we are accusing the United States military, our general officers, our commissioned, non-commissioned officers of being, quote, woke or something else because we're studying some theories that are out there. That was started at Harvard Law School years ago. All right. So he's got a big mouth. <laughs> he's got a very big mouth. And he shot it off there and to this guy at the Atlantic magazine. Some very strange things in here. Uh, somebody's praising him here. It's actually a guy named Gates, used to be the Secretary of Defense. Milley, who served as his military assistant when Gates was Bush's Secretary of Defense, was uniquely qualified to defend the Constitution from Trump. Defend the Constitution from Trump. That is a very bad attitude to approach that job. You're advising Trump's senior military advisor. 
but it gets a lot weirder. So in the summer of 2020, he visits his friend Chiarelli, another general. That summer, Milley visited Chiarelli in Washington state and over breakfast described what he thought was coming next. It was unbelievable. This is August 2nd, and he laid out in specific detail what his concerns were between August and Inauguration Day. This is his friend, Chiarelli, saying this. Next, please. He identified one of his biggest concerns as January 6th, the day the Senate was to meet to certify the election. It was almost like a crystal ball, or almost like he was planning something, or in on the planning or colluding with, I think we all know who. Next, please. In a call on the Saturday before Election Day, Milley told news anchors, whatever the hell he's doing this for, including George Stephanopoulos, Lester Holt, and Nora O'Donnell, that the military's role was to protect democracy, not undermine it. Number one, when you say these basic things, it makes me very suspicious, right? Before Election Day, he's having this kind of phone call. Do you remember people were boarding up stores and businesses before the election, not in the event of a Biden victory, but in the event of a Trump victory? Next, please. The context was, we know how fraught things are, and we have a sense of what might happen and we're not going to let Trump do it, Stephanopoulos told the writer of the story, Mr. Goldberg. Isn't that something? What was this guy up to? What is actually happening here? All right. This is circumstantial evidence, but it indicates to me that Milley was involved in some sort of plot against the president. This is not the way a general who's advising the president on military affairs operates. And then there's this. It's a little bit of fake news in the middle of the article. Just a little thing, but it bothers me. So when Milley became the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, they had a big ceremony for him at uh, Fort Myer, right outside of Washington, D.C. And there was a band, and at one moment, they're going to have somebody sing the uh, America the Beautiful. So it's a person who was severely wounded who's going to be doing the singing. Uh, they write in the story that Trump was offended somehow. Why do you bring people like that here? No one wants to see that, the wounded. Never let a villa appear in public again, Trump told Milley. So they write the story as if, wow, he just saw a badly wounded person and for some reason just was like, this is, this, I, this is offensive to me. They have lied about him before along these lines, remember? So I went back to the moment to see what happened. This is what happened. God bless America. Land I love. You see, that's arguably exploitive, 
and shocking and possibly not appropriate. The man was severely injured, traumatic brain injury, all kinds of problems. And having singing, having him sing in that environment at that moment, that may or may not have been the right thing to do. I actually don't think it was the right thing to do. I don't know. But the president did not say something about him simply for being wounded. And quite frankly, I don't believe anything <laughs> they say about President Trump. Anything. I also saw that he congratulated him right after the performance. Finally, Millie says this about coups. I'm not going to say whether I thought there was a civilian coup or not. I'm going to leave that to the American people to determine and a court of law. A civilian coup, he says, I'm not, a, what about a military coup? The one that he participated in. You betcha. And the guy who replaces Millie <laughs> is only slightly, slightly better. More on him when we come back. It would sure seem like, especially the Mar-a-Lago case, is the most serious. The Mar-a-Lago documents case was a threat to our national security. It's very serious. We have to consider that Mar-a-Lago is the most serious case right now. You hear that all the time. It is the biggest joke of them all. They are counting on the public, not being at all familiar with secret documents, being like, ooh, it's secret. Ooh, it's such a big deal. It's not. They're lying to all of us. They think we're a bunch of chumps. And uh, isn't it fascinating that Mike Pence, he's campaigning for president. And I watch this guy. I see him go all over the place and interview after interview. They never ask him about the secret documents that he had in his house over there at the, in Indiana. He had a whole bunch of them. And he was asked point blank about this. Um, when they found, you know, when Trump was going through his stuff, remember, they asked Mike Pence, hey, what about documents at your house? Did you take any classified documents with you from the White House? Uh, I, I did not. Um, Do you see any reason for anyone to take classified documents with them leaving the White House? Well, there'd be no reason to have classified documents, particularly if they were in an unprotected area. Yeah, you know that... Nodding his head, yes, at one point while he did. <laughs> he took documents and they were found at that house on that phony lake in Indiana. And I knew he was uh, nervous about the whole situation because he's tapping his foot like crazy during this whole situation. He's uh, he's nervous, right? He just knows that he's under pressure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So I just find this crazy that everyone, no one is getting hassled over this except Trump. Certainly not Biden. When... You saw the photograph of the top secret documents laid out on the floor at Mar-a-Lago. What did you think to yourself looking at that image? How that could possibly happen. How one, anyone could be that irresponsible. And I thought, what data was in there that may compromise sources and methods? By that, I mean names of people who helped, or et cetera. And it's just uh, totally irresponsible. The man is so depraved. <laughs> Documents found at his house going all the way back to 1974. Top secret documents. A U.S. senator can't take those home. What about the inquiry into that? They found him at the Penn Biden Center, his office, that phony baloney Chinese funded uh, center in Washington, D.C. 
good place to launder money, perhaps. Um, it really is absurd down there. Ah, the swamp is rewarding those who serve the swamp. You heard about Cassidy Hutchins' new book, Cassidy Hutchinson, that intern in Mark Meadows who, I don't know, heard this guy and that guy and Tony said this and George said that. She gets a book. It's called Enough. Enough. Okay. <laughs> Enough with these books. They're all getting them. Remember the cops, the January 6th cops? They found the, the four cops in the country who hate Trump. Okay. Trump is overwhelmingly uh, popular with law enforcement. It's just a fact. These guys, yikes. So I know because of the, all the chemical that I, my uniform had it on. I was carried back inside. What happened afterwards is much less vivid. One of the invaders approached me like he was going to try to get past me and head down the stairs. I was stunned by what I saw. Sorry, who told them that somehow fake crying makes their stories seem more convincing? It doesn't. Actually, it raises big-time doubts. All these guys got book deals. Gunnell, the first one, yeah, American Shield. He's got a book deal. He makes speeches. Uh, the other guy, the big guy, Dunn, yep, he's got a book, too. That guy, oh, boy, oh, boy, he's kind of radical. And he's still a capital cop, which seems inappropriate. Do you remember Caroline Edwards? Very attractive police officer. They were all cast, right? They were all picked for optics, right? Because they looked a certain way and they would stick to the script. She gets awards everywhere she goes. Woman of the year. Uh, you know, she's just uh, invited to this luncheon, that luncheon. But Fanon, he may have the sweetest deal of them all. You remember him. The indifference shown to my colleagues is disgraceful. The indifference shown to my colleagues has been... Anyway, he's got the CNN gig. He's still popping up over there. He's got a book, and they raised a half million dollars for him in about 12 hours on GoFundMe, and then they took it down. So they're all cashing in big. And you know what? Basic questions about January 6th have not been answered. They haven't even been asked. And I still think we need to dock or somehow get money back from Liz Cheney and all the others for this phoniness. Among the most shameful of this committee's findings was that President Trump sat in the dining room off the Oval Office watching the violent riot at the Capitol on television. No man who would behave that way at that moment in time can ever serve in any position of authority in our nation again. He is unfit for any office. Primetime television, the daughter of Vice President Cheney, who brought us to war in Iraq with no weapons of mass destruction. And even if Donald Trump was watching television on January 6th and that has not been established, nobody ever did this except me. You go back to see what was actually on television on January 6th. Well, a... Didn't show you this, but this is important. Why was that cop waving people onto Capitol Hill? What was that all about? See, step right up, come this way. And why were those officers just standing there as people entered the Capitol? Why didn't they close the door? Why didn't they say, go back? What is this all about? And why did those officers just walk away 
so Ashley Babbitt could be shot. There they are, right outside the House of Representatives, and now it's time for a coffee break? There they go. And then all hell breaks loose. It was tense before that, but those officers were not being harmed. And they start kicking the door and all that stuff, right? The cops are still standing there against the wall. Why are they standing there? And you know what's about to happen? Michael Byrd takes out his gun and starts aiming it at Ashley Babbitt. Those questions were never asked. These issues were never even raised at the January 6 hearings. We must, we must have justice for Ashley Babbitt. That case is not over. I understand a lawsuit may be in the works, and um, I wish them every success. We'll be right back. Hey guys, it's Carson, proud to introduce a new podcast sponsor, Vault US Gold. Vault US Gold is a new breed of gold dealer. They've been in the industry for years and they hate the questionable sales tricks and tactics some dealers use. Vault US Gold was created to offer fair and honest deals to their customers. What makes them different? Well, first, they don't pay their salespeople commissions so they can focus on helping you, not lining their own pockets. Second, your needs are a priority. They ask you about your preferences, tolerance for risk, and ultimate goals. They create a custom written proposal that details exactly what you are buying and the current price. Few dealers are that transparent because they don't want you to see their huge markups. And if you're thinking about adding gold to your IRA account, this is the right team. They're specialists in gold IRAs. Give Vault U.S. Gold a call at 833-511-4653. That's 833-511-4653. Mention you heard about them on my show for a free gift or visit them online at www.vaultusgold.com. That's vaultusgold.com. All right, so that is Mohammed bin Salam, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, basically the guy in charge, right? And also very, very wealthy. So he had a big interview with uh, Brett Baer over at Fox News. And uh, look, it didn't make news. I'll give him that. And our John Bachman breaks it down further. Fox News' Brett Baer did interview Mohammed bin Salman, the de facto leader of Saudi Arabia. He says, MBS says, that they are getting closer to normalizing relations with Israel every day. While at the same time, though, it does seem that MBS and Saudi Arabia are doing things that are hurting the United States. For example, oil prices have skyrocketed right now. They are at about $90 a barrel. One of the main reasons is because Saudi Arabia keeps cutting oil production. Bayer asked him about this in the context of higher global oil prices, helping Russia and its assault on Ukraine. Here is what Mohammed bin Salman said. So you're talking about support of Ukraine, but how about the president of Ukraine? What did he say? He said totally something against that. He said Saudi Arabia is supporting Ukraine, supporting to solve the problem between Ukraine and Russia. It is true that by keeping oil prices high through production cuts, Saudi Arabia has effectively subsidized Russia, which is making $100 billion a year on oil. Saudi Arabia could have easily increased oil production and still made a lot of money. 
while reducing the price that Americans are paying and other free people around the world are paying at the pump. Now, another key part of this interview deals with the normalization of relations with other Middle Eastern countries. Uh, Mohammed bin Salman, again, said they are trying to do that with Israel every day. Uh, they are getting closer to normalizing relations, but they have not yet. This, while Saudi Arabia is also making deals with China and Iran. Here is more from the interview in the context of that exchange. Based in situation and uh, politics, so uh, we have a long fight with Iran since uh, '79. Uh, we don't we don't want to be that uh, the norm in the uh, Middle East. If there is opportunity to shift that and to go to prosperity and uh, interest and uh, uh, working with Iran and working with other Middle Eastern, bringing Iran to work with the Arab world, with the Middle East, that, why not? Normalizing relations with Israel will depend on what kind of concessions MBS can get for the Palestinian people, both the Palestinians and the Iranians see any normalization of relations between Saudi Arabia and Israel as a stab in the back. I'm John Bachman. Now back to you. All right, John Bachman reporting. I got to admit, I had a very hard time understanding MBS. That guy talks very, very fast. But let's bring in the experts. Fred Flights, senior fellow at the American First Policy Institute and Brigadier General Blaine Holt, U.S. Air Force retired. Welcome, uh, gentlemen. Uh, General Holt, First to you, um, could you figure out what he was saying? <laughs> Sorry. I, just... I did. I did. It, it wasn't a bad interview. There was um, it was a soft interview with him. I know a lot of folks and at Fox will say, oh, well, we hit him really hard. Uh, really? Well, let's talk more about the liberalization of uh, and reform in going on inside of Saudi Arabia and human rights abuses. Let's talk about being a steadfast ally and partner of the United States while arguably aligning yourself in a normalized relationship with Iran um, and potentially helping accelerate their nuclear weapons program while saying you need your own nuclear weapons program. That doesn't sound very good. And then we look to Israel. Um, it seems like he's setting a pretty high bar for normalization with Israel. But I am encouraged by the fact that he's open to the dialogue and he's open to the diplomacy with uh, with Bibi Netanyahu. That's extremely important for stability. Fred Flights, before we get to the interview, you're, you're a veteran of the Trump administration. What were Saudi-American relations like under President Trump? Well, they were excellent. You may remember that the first visit that President Trump made abroad was to Saudi Arabia to, to, to meet with a large number of, of Arab and Muslim and North African states, and it was strong throughout his presidency. There were bumps from time to time, but nothing like it is now. I saw this interview as an opportunity for the Crown Prince to portray himself as competent, as a friend of the United States, as someone who was interested in peace, but he was laying the groundwork for some very, very tough demands. He wants uranium enrichment so Iran can enrich its own uranium. He wants a defense treaty which is going to be hard for the United States to agree to until we know, I mean, for Congress to agree to that, we have to know what are the contours of that, what will we be committing ourselves to. And he has a very high, there's a very high bar for him in terms of normalizing relations with Israel, because he wants Israel to make big concessions to the Palestinians, and I, I don't see that happening right now. All right, here's uh, MBS talking with Brett Baer about Joe Biden. What kind of, uh, what's the relationship like in his words? Let's take a look. How would you describe your current relationship with President Biden? 
the only thing that doesn't change in politics, that is changing. <laughs> so always you change your politics that serve your goals as a nation. We have today great, great work with President Biden. He's sharp and he focused, uh, he's really well focused, well prepared. And so th that's what I see. I uh, still I'm so sorry. It's not I mean, he, he speaks better English than I speak Arabic. Uh, what's going on there, uh, General Holt? Yeah, it's not very believable. <laughs> so uh, they, they don't have a very good relationship at all. And moreover, it's not the Biden MBS relationship. Uh, the, the administration does not have a very good relationship with Saudi Arabia. If they did, that would be reflected in the oil production numbers, the price of oil helping us refill our strategic reserve. Um, it would be reflected in how our arms deals work, how our basing arrangements for their protection works. Again, like so many relationships we have around the world, this is rather lopsided in the favor of uh, Saudi Arabia, and we could strike a harder deal. And, you know, um, Fred would know better than I, but uh, it seems like we had a, a far better situation underway with, uh, with Saudi Arabia in the last administration. All right. Well, good for Brett Baer for getting the interview, uh, although kind of uh, average, I'm, I'm guessing. And uh, all right. I'm not the biggest Brett Baer fan. I find him, I don't know, a little bit on the bland side. But, hey, people like that uh, sometimes. Can we listen to what Joe Biden said uh, back when he was running for office about how he would deal with the kingdom? Take a look. Khashoggi was, in fact, murdered and dismembered. And I believe in the order of the crown prince. And I would make it very clear, we were not going to, in fact, sell more weapons to them. We were going to, in fact, make them pay the price and make them, in fact, the pariah that they are. And then we see the fist bump and, you know, begging for oil, our side. It seems like just Joe saying whatever he has to say to uh, get through the moment. You know, uh, he he's kind of conditioned now. It's muscle memory to say whatever he thinks the crowd wants to hear, Fred. Well, look, Biden has repeatedly snubbed and insulted uh, the crown prince and Saudi Arabia. He did it as a candidate. He did it as president. He tried to snub them big time at the beginning of his administration. Then he had to come crawling back when oil prices went up. And we know from a variety of press reports, including a, a very, what I think a very accurate source cited by the Wall Street Journal, that the crown prince despises Biden and he's made fun of his mental acuity. So. I heard what he said in that interview, and I, I just think we have to laugh at it because we know that isn't even close to being true. Right. Well, I guess that's kind of what you got to say, though, a little bit, right? <laughs> I mean, right? Yeah. This is what these guys do. And I understand. Very political. If we went around answering the questions of uh, political journalists forthrightly, candidly, honestly, not we, but them, there'd be anarchy, potentially. So there is a time and a place for spin. Fred Pleitz, thank you. General Holt, thank you. To be continued, gentlemen, please check out the American First Policy Institute. Some great stuff going on there. And go to at the irascible for some fantastic Twitter comment, uh, content from General Holt. I'll be right back. Whenever news breaks. A lot of destruction there. It was really the front lines in the battle. And wherever it happens. Dennis humanitarian corridors opened up this morning. We're trying to go rescue a 96-year-old lady that doesn't have anybody to take care of her. They're using ingenuity. They refuse to give up. That's incoming fire. Come on. Yeah, let's get down here. Newsmax is there for you.
Mark Milley, the Patriot, the Atlantic Magazine, doing a We Love Mark piece. 50 pages on this guy. He's leaving the job next week. I think this is a payoff, really, for all the leaks he gave the fake news over the years. And he gave them a lot of stuff and stuff they wanted to hear. Trump is a monster, and I'm out to save the country. Stuff like this. There's another book coming out next year that is reporting that General Milley also warned Trump against a possible strike on Iran. What was apparently keeping the chairman of the Joint Chiefs up at night was this worry that Trump would, would get us into a full-blown military conflict with Iran. Trump was very interested. Well, maybe we should strike Iran. And Milley and the others kept telling him, if you strike Iran, that could lead to a major war. General Mark Milley, the top American general, was worried the president might try to order military strikes on Iran. Oh, General uh, Milley, a hero, kept us out of war from that crazy Trump. Just ask General Mark Milley. Totally, totally self-serving. Our next guest is Chris Farrell, Director for Investigations and Research at Judicial Watch. He is also a U.S. Army veteran, and uh, welcome back to the show. And a couple of months back, actually a while back, you advocated for the court-martial of, of General Milley, which uh, <laughs> seems more deserved than ever before. Welcome back, Chris. How are you? Doing well, Greg. Thanks for having me back on. Milley's a traitor. I hope that uh, once Trump is reelected, that Milley is recalled to active duty, which all general officers are subject to, and that they uh, impanel a Article 32 board, which is like a military grand jury, and they put him on trial and they court-martial him. He's a disgrace. He engaged in traitorous activity. And he's a coward. Let's be real clear. This guy's a phony. He leaked information to reporters who were busy writing these glowing hagiographies about what a saint and a hero he was. Uh, and at the same time, he actively undermined the president. He said, F President Trump, I'm going to fight him from the inside. And if they want to arrest me, let them. That is the very definition of, of subversion. It's a crime. He betrayed his oath repeatedly. I loathe Millie. And every American who respects and understands the Constitution needs to really take a hard look at what a... He's a criminal. He's a creep. I know you are a former Marine officer. Uh, I'm a former Army officer. There are tons of folks, uh, you know, mutual folks with our background and experience, commissioned or not, who know what this guy is and what a phony he is. And no one more is worthy of a court-martial than Mark Milley. He is a half step behind Benedict Arnold. It really is amazing. I concur, by the way. Um, I do. I like how you put it all there. Uh, he, he incriminates himself in these books and in this article, The Atlantic, that is trying to uh, make a hero out of him. He says stuff in there. He's quoted as doing things that are contrary to the Constitution. He's putting himself above the president. You have to buy into the idea that Trump is a monster. You and I know he's not. Um, he's an ambitious guy. And I think he saw the way the winds were blowing in the swamp. And like the swamp was moving against Trump as soon as he became president, before he became president, he wanted to be with the in crowd. And he signaled to them in big ways and small that I'm with you. 
and I detest this guy, and I'm trying to trip him up. I'm on your side, not his. And in doing that, I think he violated his oath. He did, because the answer, and you know this, and everyone who raised their right hand and swore an oath to the Constitution knows this, you argue to the point of decision. Once the decision is made, if you find it morally unacceptable, you resign. You don't fight in a seditious, subversive way against the president and against the Constitution with this phony, holier-than-thou, you know, I'm going to save the country. He's the last thing other than a patriot. And uh, what he's worried about is all of his appointments to various corporate boards. This is where he's going to line his, his pockets with cash, trading on his position as the chairman of the JCS. There's nothing lower. You know, you can't scrape him from the bottom of your shoe. <laughs> okay, Chris Farrell, thank you very much. The next guy, the next guy, C.Q. Brown, is uh, strange and weird for a whole host of other uh, issues, and we'll go into those next time. Thank you very much, Chris Farrell. Check him out at Judicial Watch. Great people there, and we'll be right back. Thank you. Chris Plant and his squad, they're next. I'll see you tomorrow.